0: Um, I think that companies are starting to recognize that a lot of the high volume work, like if we just scale our double our sales headcount, that we'll get double the revenue, which is a model a lot of companies used 10 years ago, that those models just don't work anymore. And the difference is how buyers buy and the stages of how buyers buy and the options that they have available to make buying decisions are fundamentally different.
1: to the second edition of our Redefine Growth podcast. We have a very special guest today, Chris Walker from the United States, Refine Labs. We're gonna talk about AI and growth, how to align your teams, the things you shouldn't be doing, and the one thing you should do in 2024. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Redefine Growth podcast. So it's actually quite like uh, like Refine Labs, right? And uh, we welcome uh, Chris Walker. Thank you so much for joining us today. you want to do a short introduction?
0: Uh, sure. Thanks for having me on here. Really excited to uh, to be on here. Uh, for everyone that doesn't know me, my name is Chris Walker. I'm the CEO of a company called Refine Labs. Over the past four years, I basically built an eight-figure business uh, from scratch. I um, have been able to work with uh, tons of smart people, as well as like CMOs in the companies that we actually work for. So A lot of B2B, SaaS, and tech companies, some of the most high-profile companies in the world. Um, some of the things that I'm proud of is, I think, at now... Um, eight people that have worked at my company basically came in at my company as a manager or a director and then left to become a VP or a CMO at a company. And I'm very proud to sort of accelerate career progression. We always set out at this company to develop the next uh, the next wave of CMOs and marketing leaders. And now we're starting to see that come into practice over the past four or five years, which is something I'm super proud of. Um, i continue to get very involved in the data and analytics uh, around it and in in ways that how do we drive organizational change inside of large companies we have to be able to use data and be able to tell stories around that data that inspire people to make a change in the way that they think or the way that they operate or what they measure or things or how they how they look at customer data and et cetera like that so um at the beginning of my career was very focused on like i feel like this is this is clear right? Customers are doing this. We see it in the market. You ask self-reported attribution, get these answers. And I started to shift it to be less about here's my opinion and a lot more about like we've, we're researching a lot of companies and looking at their data and here's what the data says about what's happening. Um, and I've started to get a much, uh, a strong response to, to that overall element shift in how I think about my content and sort of my position and being a lot more scientific and data driven, um, and less sort of, uh, you know, here's what's happening, or here's my opinion. So um, a, a, a great evolution as like a content creator as a, you know, thought leader in the B2B space, and as me as a professional. So I'm proud to sort of see that evolution and watch it continue to happen.
1: Cool. Thanks. Um, from our side, uh, I'm the founder of and Sneakers, where uh, I believe uh, the leading growth marketing agency in the Netherlands. Have you been to Amsterdam?
0: Not yet. But people are asking me to go over the summer this year.
1: Oh, maybe we should invite you to our festival next year. And uh, I love what you're saying about, uh, uh, I used to call it, I'm not sure who came up with the term, but it's the hippo effect, the highest paid person in the room uh, with the biggest mouth who typically used to uh, define what we're doing, what's the best strategy. And now it's uh, more science-based and more based on data, which we truly love. And our podcast is called Redefine Growth because we also believe that growth should be about making a positive impact. So uh, we also challenge our clients not to only focus on money, but also do good uh, using their business as a force for good. So, um, well, let's dive into it. First question. Uh, what is, uh, in your opinion, one thing? Um, well, before that one thing, maybe Doris, <laughs> my colleague. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, he's, sure. our, he's our B2B legend uh, from our side. So Doris, maybe you can
2: do an uh, introduction. Yeah, of course. I am. Uh, I am also here and I'm uh, really looking forward uh, to to uh, to meet you, Chris, and uh, learn from you. Uh, because, as uh, Bart stated, uh, I'm the B2B legend here. Uh, so, as uh, B2B growth hacker, I'm working with a lot of things uh, you are also work with. Um, so, therefore, I'm really looking forward to, to uh, know a little bit more about uh, your vision uh, for the B2B uh, perspective upcoming years, or maybe. Already right now, so uh, really looking forward. I love that. Let's do this.
1: All right. So um, I think you have an interesting vision on on B two B growth, and I um, I think we're still a bit more in the uh, testing and learning fast what you can do. And I believe I heard you're talking about. Um, looking at the broader perspective, right? Can you explain a little bit how you see that uh, evolving in the future, how, how budget wise you you manage your growth?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've done, I've been doing a lot of like primary market research with marketing leaders and CMOs at big developed companies. Um, and what I'm finding is it's not, uh, it's not the lack of data that is the problem. Companies have tons of data. Um, what they need is what data do we look at What structure do we need it in? Why do we look at it that way? What are we actually looking for? And then once we see those things, can we identify them with high confidence and then know what to do about them? And so that is the part of the analytics that matters right now. There's tons of attribution tools and analytics. You can build a Looker dashboard and you can do all that stuff. The gap is sort of identifying what data do we look at and why, and then how do we turn that into action? Um, And so that's sort of a, a point that I continue to explore more. And then when we think about this, like micro versus macro, um, I find that companies spend a, uh, a lot of time, both marketing leaders and, uh, you know, individual contributors in the micro of like, did this uh, campaign work on LinkedIn? Is our email newsletter working? Um, you know, what what uh, what posts on social media, or what type of content on social media is performing the best? And don't take enough time to elevate the conversation and say, what is the impact of our entire marketing budget and spend? Um, And when you elevate that conversation and you have the conversation of, is our marketing driving revenue at a high ROI? Are we producing revenue at a high ROI? You can have an objective conversation of, well, is our marketing really performing then? If we're getting 48 cents on the dollar for every dollar we spend on marketing in a new business and have a two-year marketing CAC payback, like, does it really matter whether like, the campaign last week worked or not, or whether we got enough web traffic. No, it doesn't. It's like, if we are well below benchmark on the high the performing standards, then then is when we look into the micro with that context and say, what are we going to do about it? What do we do about it? Find the lowest ROI programs and reallocate them to higher performing programs. It's really not that complicated. And usually the data in there is very clear of where there are big chunks of budget that are either being wasted, uh, wasted as a uh, I'm refining my terms, just, just delivering re- low ROI. It's not like a binary decision. Does this thing that we're doing work or not? It's a spectrum. It's not a yes or no, it's a spectrum of how well is this thing working and what ROI or what impact is it producing for the investment? And so instead of being so in the yes or no, I think stretching out and saying where do we fall on a spectrum of performance for each program, I think is a better way to look at it. Everything in marketing works. The question is, what is the ROI on, the, on that thing? Um, and so, uh, yeah, encouraging us to sort of have a layered conversation when we think about the age old question, is marketing working? And say, one... Is it driving ROI? Is it effective and an efficient engine based on ROI and actual revenue and pipeline results? Then underneath that, what are the things that are driving the pipeline and revenue at a high uh, sales velocity? How are we capturing and converting demand? And then at a more micro level, what are the programs that we're doing and the investments that we're making that support those revenue and pipeline streams? Um, and you use a layered approach where most companies start at the bottom and say, what are all these programs doing? And instead, setting top level and working down, I think it's just a overall a stronger process to create the context around what you're looking for and why.
2: You also stated uh, you're doing interviews, you're doing research uh, before starting with, with a campaign or a program. How do you combine that with uh, the macro KPIs or uh, the biggest KPIs you are measuring? Uh, what is the flow in that or how do you uh, use
0: that? Um, if I'm understanding the question correctly, I just think that um, what most companies do is when they evaluate programs, they apply a blanket at, uh, digital attribution model across everything that they're doing and use the exact same measurement for everything, um, not really respecting the differences between demand capture and demand conversion and demand creation. Um, and so what when you actually break it out and say, what are the best places that we convert demand? Is it in demos, events, outbound sales, partner? What are the best ways that we convert demand into revenue? What are the channels and things that the signals that we use to to capture that demand? Google ads, review sites, intent data, um, someone showing up at our booth at an event, a partner co selling a deal with us. What are the signals that create that, that allow us to capture that demand? And then what's actually creating the demand? What are the things that are driving a buyer to want to buy? Word of mouth in the market from our happy customers. The podcast that we do, the event that our CEO spoke at last year, the PR stuff that we got, we got in the cloud, the Forbes 100 cloud companies, those are the things that are creating the demand overall, and how we're we able to isolate this thing against that actual purpose and use a different measure mo- measurement model to it, like the visible U-shaped or W-shaped visible model, applying that to all your programs, leaves you wondering what, like, what's going on at the top of the funnel, which is basically every, like, what every CMO is wondering right now. How do we control the quote-unquote top of the funnel? If it's not an MQL machine, how do we control it? And how do we measure it? And the core like, fundamental concept is, well, you can't do what you're doing for Google Ads and performance marketing. You can't use the same measurement that you're using for that, but a lot of companies try to. Um, and the reality at the top quote unquote top of the funnel in demand creation is that a lot of those things are not trackable. They're not getting tracked by attribution software. Um, most companies don't even know that they're happening. And the real way to source them is primary market research with your customers. Like what I did yesterday for like four hours, I sat down and I ta- I was talking with CMOs asking for feedback about a problem that I'm seeing in the market and how they see it and do they experience it? And how much do they, you know, how much do you think they think that costs them and having those types of Uh, having those types of insights so that when I go out and do my podcast, I understand my customer better.
1: It's interesting for you. I think think also Google did a research on it and they they call it the messy middle. So uh, what they stated, often these journeys and buyer journeys are are often seen as a linear process. And and especially when you go back, marketing used to hand over the the leads to sales and then the product uh, used to do uh, whatever sales had uh, sold the person. Uh, we google did a research where they call it the messy middle so uh, someone becomes aware of something and then it goes into a messy middle and it's not very linear like you're saying they could read a review or go to a website talk to someone on a birthday party Uh, and and then at some point after uh, i think they said on average 27 touch points they they have a a buying intent and and that's where um you have to you have to be there or you don't have to be there right so uh, they used to be a salesperson but um I also think that's going to change. So how do you look at that? Is there still a salesperson involved in the future of of B two B sales?
0: Um, I think companies just need to uh, have a distinguish in their marketing and sales engine. What is the state of this account, and what is the state of this buyer? Are they not in market? Are they in market to buy, or at least demonstrating intent that they might be in market to buy? Or are they in our pipeline, or are they our customer? Like the basic stages of a customer journey, and then thinking about what are the appropriate ways to do marketing and sales based on those stages that that company is in. Uh, And that it just perfectly aligns to demand creation, demand capture, demand conversion, expand accounts, Um, not in market, in market, in pipeline, close one. Um, And so I think having that distinction and not having the same marketing motion to everybody, and I don't think it's really the messy middle, it's that companies go in and out of like showing intent to buy something as they go through their buying mm-hmm. process that the company can't usually track very well. Um, we got some, maybe it's a music in the background from somebody, but.
1: <laughs> it's a, is it here? <laughs> I uh, think we have a fire. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's something on fire, it's, about cool. gonna, it's very yeah, hot. We're gonna leave, we're gonna leave,
0: the, we're gonna leave this in here so that people can see what actually happens. We got a fire <laughs> alarm going on here. yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) we'll let it cool down
1: how would you define these these stages
0: Um, I think that companies think that there's a, a linear process that buyers go through and that there's no once they go through one part of the process that there's no going backwards and the reality is that there's a forward movement and backward movement as a company uh, identifies a problem and then goes out and researches it intent. And then they decide, hey, actually, we don't have the budget for this. So we're going to solve this next year. Or, these these other 10 priorities or this isn't a priority. And now they're all of a sudden not in market again. And the company can go and then they get into your pipeline, they move close loss. Now they're not in market again. And there's just a, there's a very, there's a fluid uh, way that that a company when they buy stuff can move forward in a buying process and then move backward in a buying process which is foreign to how companies track it i don't know for sure but my guess is that once a six cents account hits six qa that they don't go backwards that they're only going forwards from there Um, i don't know that for sure but that's my my assumption um and so i think we need to be uh, a lot more understanding of and a lot more aware of what is the state of this account whether are they in market to buy our stuff? Are they not in market to buy? Are they in our pipeline? Are they a current account that we're trying to expand? And then use those simple segmentation layers to decide how do we run sales? What investments do we make? And how do we run the sales and marketing motions to accounts that are in this state of wanting to buy our stuff? Um, And when you start to do that, you, you realize that we need to, Companies that aren't in market need to be handled very differently than accounts that are in there on your website, looking at your case studies and your pricing page, and are in your free trial. There's just a different motion that's required there, um, and then there's a little element of like, what is what is B two B sales going to be like? When I think about what is demand conversion going to be like, right? You can convert demand via self serve. You can convert demand via sales assist. Uh, you can convert demand via uh, enterprise sales rep a predictable revenue sdrae model there's a lot of different ways to do it um i don't see the b2b sales rep going away anytime soon um i see the way the uh the upper layer or the upper amount of them be becoming disproportionately uh higher compensated and more effective um normally you sort of like maybe it's the 80 20 rule maybe some leaders uh uh, you know, use that as a way right now, but like the high, the top performing city reps are going to drive a majority of the, of the revenue due to subject matter, expertise, market insights, um, clear, like customer centricity and understanding of the customer. Um, and so I think we'll just see, a a shifting of what a successful salesperson, what attributes and it, sa- salespeople that do those things are already successful today. So maybe it's not a shift, um, but more so maybe like, a a rising of the cream to the top. I think that we'll see that, um, I think that companies are starting to recognize that a lot of the high volume work, like if we just scale our double our sales headcount, that we'll get double the revenue, which is a model a lot of companies used 10 years ago, that those models just don't work anymore. And the the difference is how buyers buy and the stages of how buyers buy and the options that they have available to make buying decisions are fundamentally different. Where an individual sales rep has way less control over the amount of companies that are in demand that are in market for your product than they were in 2001 where you could knock on their door and they didn't know anything so you're so they didn't know what the competitors are they didn't know how to get pricing they needed the rep back then a b2b buyer simply just doesn't need the the sales rep t- most often to come to a actual buying decision and the stats show that b2b buyers spend less than five percent of time with each company's sales rep without their buying pro- throughout their buying process I think it's 86% of their time is not spent with a sales rep from any company. And so what, what are you doing as a business to inf- that 86% of the time? How are you showing up? How are you having the company get your content? How is that content making an impact? How are you getting that content shared inside of the Leadership Slap channel with the people that are going to make that decision? How do you get that content to present a metric that gets discussed in their next executive team meeting? Um, and I think spending a lot more time on, the, on what is the buyer doing that 86% and how are we available to that without having a one-to-one sales conversation with it, the, which there are many avenues to accomplish the objective of selling someone without having a one-to-one conversation with them today, based on the internet and how people consume having your happy customers or your partners and other people also influence and sell for you, I think is a very interesting dynamic that's happening now. So, um, is the sales rep gone? No, but I think that there's going to there, there's clear changes in how companies are going to make investments and go to market in the future.
2: Yeah, we see that marketing have a lot more influence uh, than maybe ten years ago, and that uh, makes it also uh, more difficult to attribute uh, what is the performance and what 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 are the next steps we need to take. And uh, the role of uh, sales is, I think, increasing in value but decreasing in time spent with uh, the actual customer and in uh, the collaboration uh, between marketing and sales and what is uh, in the handover or what is an, uh, the right moment to start the collaboration or start the handover in your point of view. Is it always that marketing need to share and share and share information and never let it go? Or is there also a point, uh, a turnover that, hey, we see now there's enough Interaction there is now uh, they are now in market. We now need to now hand it over to sales and stop uh, working on uh, that prospect or lead. Uh,
0: so there's actually a relatively scientific and data driven way that you could figure these things out, which is effectively measuring the data of what are the most effective things that our sales team can spend their time on. And uh, the way that you would do that is that every time you're triggering your sales team or SDR team to take action, that you measure the outcome, the, the driver of why they're taking the action and the outcome of that action. Did we get a connect? Did we get a meeting? Did we get an opportunity? Was it qualified? Did we win? And looking at every single action. Right now, companies kind of do that with the MQL, um, but they should also do it with their intent data, with an uh, event follow-up, uh, with how they co-sell in partners and track the entire go-to-market that way. And then when you do that at a big company, you're having sales take action hundreds of thousands or millions of times every year. You have a large pool of data that has clear trends in the performance of what is the percentage of the outcomes from like one in a thousand times we touch a customer, we win them to one out of every five. And there's a very large spectrum in the overall performance. What was the ACV? What's the sales velocity? How much pipeline do we create from there? And then using that data to then go as a go-to-market team and look at it and say, what are the signals that are actually helping us get customers? What are the right signals to trigger our sales team's actions based on? Here's all the data. We tracked millions of different touch points and signals that we use to trigger sales action. Which ones are resulting in results with high sales velocity and low ROI? Um, And using that as the layer to have objective conversations between the, I think the difference is whether you're looking at it as marketing metrics and sales metrics. This is looking at it as an executive team or as a revenue team, and saying here is all the data, and you could break it down and you could look at it and really say object. When we do this for companies and we do this exact thing in our in our analysis, because um, most of them have the data, they just don't look at it in this way, is that there are really clear patterns that a, someone that fills out a, a demo form on our website, we get one out of eight become a customer. And when we run a lead gen form on LinkedIn, it's one out of every 800 or one out of every thousand. And so why do we spend all our money getting M- like MQLs from LinkedIn that we win one out of a thousand when we could just spend our time getting a demo request that we win one out of eight? And then you, you, when you incentivize across the right metrics as a, mar- as a revenue team, you um, start to break down the barriers of what sales and marketing alignment are, which is basically what the marketing team is doing does not align to revenue team outcomes. It's black and white that way. And why is the marketing team doing this this way? Because the KPIs and the attribution that companies use force them to do things this way. And so what do you need to change? You need to change the KPIs and the measurement strategy inside of your thing, which then enables the the marketing team to do other things that are more aligned with sales team outcomes, which allows the teams to work better, which is why hiring a growth marketer or hiring a new agency or something like that fails for most companies in terms of fixing this because it's not a tactical execution problem. Having another meeting between marketing and sales is not the solution. It's getting into the root of what the problem is, which is really the KPIs aren't aligned, and then do the hard work to align the KPIs so that the teams operate as one team.
1: Yeah, I totally agree there, because uh, growth should include uh, both sales and marketing. And the salespeople become more marketeers with social selling and, and offering value to the clients and, and whatever wherever they are online, and uh, marketeers having more influence on um, the, the buying process in a further stage. And I also see one big trend there is that companies more and more lower their entry barriers. So I used to come from, uh, I spent some, quite some time in the valley and uh, we used to sell uh, three, five year contracts, enterprise sales. Uh, and I believe there's, there's also a trend there where I see companies lowering the entry barriers, uh, product-led growth. If you look at Slack, for example, and uh, uh, oh, oh, but also HubSpot, uh, the, the free software for, for startups. So there's a very low entry barrier, and then once you start using, they, they increase the lifetime value from there. And that's um, also, I think we should uh, take it into account. So uh, th- there might not be a role for sales anymore uh, besides like increasing the value of such an account, but, but uh, the, first, the first deal. So exactly like you're saying, what is the point? Uh, at some companies, the point where sales comes in, they're already client for one and a half year, might be, and then they're upselling them uh, different features and other products. So um, in my webinar about, uh, uh, it was about e-commerce growth, uh, I had one question which was about are people actually going to buy products themselves in the future? Or is it an AI agent that is going to search the product for them? What do you think?
0: Um, I think we're pretty far away. Uh, maybe an AI agent becomes a uh, collector of information. But I expect that if we did have this process, that AI would be a, that type of scenario that you just painted would be a couple steps down the road, not the next step. Um, I think the next step that's already put, the next step that's really like uh, playing out right now Is that companies are starting to use more of like a procurement, uh, a bulk procurement company that goes out and negotiates all the contracts with vendors, gets the best price Mm -hmm. based on volume, and then sends it back so they don't do any negotiation, pre-negotiated pricing, uh, basically like that, and leveraging the volume to have power on discounting. Same thing that happens, uh, Medical companies that buy medical supplies will join a group in the same way and get discounted pricing for companies on contracts. So This has already been happening. Uh, but it's really to just uh, when there's a inefficiency in the model, which right now is that a, sa- a sales rep, uh, buyers feel like they're not getting all the information they can trust from a sales rep, and they go jump through all these hoops to buy the deal, that that inefficiency is creating an opportunity for a company to sit in the middle and take some margin between those things, which is what companies are doing. Um, when we think about like how uh, how is a CMO or a CTO or an executive making a buying decision today? Um, I would bet the farm that uh, in the next three years they will be using the three people that they consider peers outside of their company that they trust the most to be their to be their person that helps them make key decisions on what to buy, not an AI engine. I think people trust a lot more peers that have special like specialized skills that are like them. um we've seen that emerging that's that's happened forever, but since the internet has been reached at scale and the medical community we saw that happening in 2016 people would decide what products to use just based on what other hospital leading hospitals did um and so sh- long story short i think we're far we're far away from an ai agent actually co- basically making the decision for somebody could they collect some information probably um given that companies do a lot of work to hide their pricing and some other things like that, I, I would be concerned as a buyer whether I'm getting accurate information from that at, at this current stage. But that could change over time.
1: Talking about AI, uh, 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 Doris, uh, how, how do you leverage AI in your current uh, B2B growth strategy?
2: Uh, yeah, we are using AI on uh, multiple levels. Uh, for example, for ideation. Uh, When doing uh, research or uh, persona research or market research, uh, we're using AI to be more creative and uh, get insights Uh, we do not receive uh, from the founder or from the sales rep or uh, maybe from the customers to really uh, having more an outstanding uh, perspective of it. But on the other hand, we really try to use it more uh, hands-on with AI content creation for blogging, for example, or AI content creation for doing outreach. Uh, But that is also the tricky part, uh, in my opinion, because AI is not leveraging the same value as a creative marketeer or creative uh, sales agent can do. So that is one of the promising uh, things we are testing now uh, with uh, using uh, AI. But I foresee that also as one of the downsides uh, that you give away a certain level of control and that if you really want to offer them the real value, that it's also difficult uh, to maintaining the uh, eff- efficient and effectiveness uh, of, your, uh, of your content.
1: Yeah, and I think one, one thing to add is that we, we gather a lot of information that, that we can find everywhere that we can use in our personalization and understand our target audience in a better way. Uh, uh, Chris, uh, do, can you explain how, how you look at it and how you leverage uh, the power of AI at, the, at this point?
0: Yeah, at this point, um, our use of AI is to the extent of workflow automation. So specifically in the con- the post-production process of content. So how do we take a raw video, get use it to accelerate getting that into micro clips and other forms of content? So that's the main use case that I see right now. And then all that is reviewed by human, sometimes edited and optimized. I have used AI before for ideation. And I think that it's cool initially, but typically I end up with solutions that do not, aren't like generated from there that come that I find are better just from human creativity. But I do see the value in sort of getting the ideation engine started. Um, the thing that I uh, sort of debate in my my head and I'm thinking about, and it's, it's really not an either or, but I'll present it as an either or, which is that like um, the conversation that I had The four conversations that i had with potential customers cmos at large companies that fit my icp yesterday was a trillion times more valuable than me asking 20 questions to ai about what cmos think and do a trillion times more valuable and a trillion times more accurate and so i can take those insights and somebody that's not doing that type of work because they think that they're smart and they can get that stuff by ai in 15 minutes and they miss all the real stuff, I'm going to crush them. Um, And so I don't think that it's an either or, but I do think that as technology continues to grow, uh, a lot of marketers um, abandon fundamentals. And the key is to have consistent fundamentals where you layer uh, technology on top to accelerate the fundamentals. And the clear technology application use case of AI and marketing today that I see is content uh, Post production automation—not writing your blog for you, but taking the content asset that came out of your brain and then repurposing it in different mediums in an automated way that normally a human would go in and manually do—I um, think that is the clear one.
2: Yeah, it's a huge potential. How effective you can be when you're using AI to the fullest—you can uh, elaborate more on the insights you have. You can a little bit. Uh, you can be more productive but uh, the hardest thing in uh leveraging the right content and the right value that is really listening and trans uh transcribe that to an uh to a campaign or a content item and yeah you need to be a little bit creative in that otherwise you are the same as everything was on the web right now mm mm-hmm.
0: I think the uh, I think niche LLMs are a real interesting opportunity right now for companies that develop a lot of IP. Um, So like i like, I don't think that like a Gartner would do this or maybe they are working on it. Who knows? But Gartner's got a fuckload of information, a lot of good stuff they've been developing over 20 years. Imagine if they put that into a niche LLM and sold that to CTOs instead of going in there and browsing. Oh, how am I going to find this new research report? You just ask it a question. You get exactly what you want back we'll probably as I talk about it. Yeah, we'll probably do that. There are (laughs) companies that develop a lot of IP. My company is one of them. Um, And so if you are the developer of IP, then being able to train an LLM on IP that you created, that is non-obvious and different and allow people to use that information to get the answers that they want with supporting assets or materials, I think would be, Really cool. Clear, obvious technology advancements and only looking at the risks of them means that you're going to get knocked over by a tidal wave at some point. So I've, I've leaned into like technology and opportunities since the beginning of my career from using Facebook ads in 2012 when I was selling electronics out of my bedroom on Shopify and Amazon and nobody was using Facebook ads that early. Um, to jumping on Instagram and LinkedIn. AI is coming out now. We use it in some ways, but we're not like overusing it. Um, There's like, I think that you have to be looking at, especially ones that are super clear, like where it's very obvious that there's like no way that we're going to unsee all the things that have been happening in AI and that advancement is just going to stop. There's so much money being poured in there. So putting your head in the sand and saying, hey, AI is not going to make an impact on my job in the next 10 years, um, I think is irresponsible i think that it wouldn't it would be insensible um but some people take it uh some people take it too far um where and you can see people that sort of jump around and one day they're a crypto expert and the next day they're an ai expert next day they're a multifamily real estate expert and the next day they're trying to sell you a course to do you know day trading um and like so some people jump around just follow the trend and they can extract some short-term cash like there are people that are probably extracting short-term cash out of ai in an unsustainable way um, so you just have to be able to have it ba- like balanced and rooted. But I think that uh, like uh, avoiding technology, like technology shifts, which is basically shifting how our buyers operate, is a better way to look at it. I think it's shifting how we and as our customers operate, um, and not being cognizant of those. I think is something I, I really think we need to be cognizant of those changes. Yeah,
1: I love how you talk about uh, that. You use the Facebook uh, remind, reminds me of the software company I used to work where. Uh, there was uh, something hanging around saying Facebook is not for business that was uh, during during that time and I kind of feel like uh, there's the the same thing with TikTok at this point what's your opinion like because TikTok is still uh, the younger people it's uh, it has more than a billion users Uh, people are on there or the people that influence the buyer are on there so uh, what is the I think a lot of B2B companies are wondering should I go on TikTok or should I not
0: Yeah, but listen, they're missing the picture. It's not about the channel. It's about that this content format and consumption format is dominating the internet right now. It is vertical short form video, whether you watch it on TikTok, Instagram reels, YouTube shorts, that format and LinkedIn is going to, I think, get forced at some point to become from prioritizing a blog post that a lot of AI people can write to moving to a mobile first video first platform, I think is something that they're going to have to follow, Um, and that understanding how to create that type of content is the same power of knowing how to crush SEO in 2007 right now. And so it doesn't matter whether TikTok wins or something like that. We create our content for TikTok, but our best performing details that we see right now are actually in YouTube shorts where we don't do any traditional SEO and my YouTube shorts videos are ranking number one in Google over people that have huge domain authority right now. For t- terms like pipeline velocity versus sales velocity. And so like, it doesn't, it's not, you have to be able to create the, co- the content format. It's very obvious that that content format is the prevailing way that people are consuming content on their mobile device today. And so being able to adapt to that and know that if I create a video for TikTok, that I could also use it for YouTube, which is going to be a, an SEO strategy, a search strategy that, that limits my risk for on my the investment that i made in seo over the past seven years that where the dynamics of website content and seo are changing google now owns youtube they're putting in there you got to be able to create content for this this format and medium i think is a better way to look at it um and so like and yeah i think from a business standpoint the actual opportunity right now is using youtube shorts as for a search engine optimization strategy but you still need to create the video just like it was a tiktok video um, and then, if you're going to create it for YouTube Shorts and it's going to look like that, wouldn't you cross post it on TikTok? Wouldn't you at least want to see? You already you already did 99 percent of the work. Wouldn't you just want to see what happened? Wouldn't you post it on Instagram Reels? And so, um, I think I think uh, I think uh, again, this is sort of like a micro-macro conversation. In the micro, they're like, "Are we supposed to be on TikTok, or we should just keep doing our LinkedIn thing?" In the macro, it's like the content format that people consume on their mobile device has clearly shifted over the past three years. If you are not creating that content for the Internet, that like the amount of people that are reading your blog is to I don't care what your website traffic says the people that are consuming your blog is declining day by day because there's just way other there's way more available content formats. Um, yeah, so, I, yeah, I do
1: believe that it's uh, that, that that there are some longer forms that still work, right? People are still reading books, and on average they take ten hours. So it's a great Our, opportunity. These, to, this
0: podcast is going to be an hour, right? Joe this Rogan a yeah, podcast, yeah. YouTube. Yeah, I do three hour podcasts. Exactly. But a repurposing YouTube video. the content
1: is such a it's such a great advice. Like a, a one video of an hour can can create so many snippets, and and, and you can use it everywhere. Uh, what is the biggest mistake you see companies make nowadays? What a lot of companies do, what they actually shouldn't.
0: Um, I don't think that I'm going to come up with anything like uh, groundbreaking here, because I feel like there's a lot that I've been talking about for a long time. That like it's just it's not really changing at large yet. Um, A majority of companies still use MQLs as their primary marketing metric, despite account-based marketing being available for you know the past seven years. Most B2B companies still use the MQL as the primary marketing metric, even if they pretend to measure and report on. They really report on pipeline optimized for MQLs. Um, and when you bubble that up to what is actually the root cause, is just that companies don't have uh, a, a key performance indicator strategy to align the go-to-market team, and they don't have an appropriate way to analyze the investments they make to determine what are the things that are high ROI that we should keep doing and what are the things that are low ROI that we should reallocate to other places that might be high ROI. And what is the the data layer and the process that we use to make those decisions with confidence and clarity? Um, I believe that is the the missing piece. And you see all the symptoms underneath: sales and marketing misalignment, peop, companies fight like companies. Some do use inbound and outbound as a binary way to determine credit. If it's outbound, then sales gets comped more. And what do you know? The whole team's fucking fighting over whether the deal was inbound or outbound because the salesperson's going to make twenty five hundred more bucks if it was tagged as outbound. And they just they, and those are all the symptoms underneath of what uh that people see visibly and they try to correct it with restructuring the comp plan or something like that but the root issue is that you look at it based on inbound and outbound which puts the teams at odds of one another for credit um and so i think it all like roots back to having the right mindset of how we run our go-to-market a data layer that the entire go-to-market team uses to determine how to make decisions where if a lot of people looked at the same data they would come to a similar conclusion about why that's happening and what we should do next um and then, yeah. So I, I i i've built I built my company for the past five years, and have worked with a ton of companies, and have noticed that some of the companies that we work with go on to be very successful, and other companies regress and like end up whether they like leave my company doesn't matter. Just don't get the results that they're looking for when they think about marketing investments. And the the core common denominator that I see over and over again, and I uh, the core common denominator I see over and over again is that the company has a strong cmo with a vision for how the world works today Um, and then what that strong cmo does what she does is then uses that perspective and vision to align and change the company marketing kpis and the culture in the marketing team to be a go-to-market team um And uh, so the strong CMO is important because they need to manage that change internally and have the confidence in it. But underlying what they're really doing is shifting the KPIs and what they optimize for and what they measure to align with the go-to-market. And many CMOs try to do that. But only some of them are successful because there's a big change involved and there's political dynamics inside of companies and executive teams and things like that. Um, and some CMOs just frankly aren't strong enough to get that type of change done in a big company. But many are. Many are capable. Um, but yeah, I think I think the root cause is KPIs.
1: It's also a matter of short-term uh, uh, goals, like you're saying metrics, or having a long-term vision and some patience. Uh, so you start building up uh, uh, and, and drive them on.
0: Yeah. Uh, so what I found doing this is is about setting what are the results that matter, and then tracking going back in time. And so if you measured MQLs all up to this point, and MQLs aren't the right metric, there's no sense in measuring it forward. What if we changed it to stage three pipeline? And then if we want, if we look back over the past six quarters and said, how much stage three pipeline did we create instead of looking at MQLs? And because most people aren't looking at it, you're going to probably see it up and down. Maybe it's trending down, but it's definitely not up and to the right and then say, okay, this is the right metric to track. Okay, so when we make these changes next quarter and we stop thinking about MQLs and we start thinking about stage three pipeline, let's not focus on how many MQLs we get next quarter, let's focus on how much stage three pipeline we get next quarter. And let's focus on is it greater than what we did last quarter or the average of the trailing six quarters or whatever we determine is the right goal. And it's about aligning can you, can you on- Can maybe what explain
1: is, stage three uh, pipeline for the people that you, don't know?
0: Uh, stage three pipeline, like your, your sales rep has completed a demo, you might have sent an initial like pricing and proposal, to, the account is qualified to buy from you and actively in a sales process. Stage three means that there's been several other points of the process before, which eliminates a lot of garbage that enters in stage zero or stage one pipeline gets filtered out by stage three. So a lot of companies will move to stage one, you can still put a lot of garbage in stage one, uh, through the filtering of a manual sales rep, uh, all of the all the bad pipeline gets filtered out between stage 1 and stage 3 typically. Um and so um aligning on that is the outcome that we want to drive and then tracking the progress against that I think is important, right? Like if you if your primary metric is an MQL and then you say, "Oh, but 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 and and on the dashboard in the executive team, they're looking, they say 50,000 MQLs last quarter and the goal for this year is 50,000 MQ, 50, MQLs this quarter." And we're back on the marketing team saying we're going after stage three pipeline, and we change the strategy and how we allocate investments and things like that. So it's not a huge lead gen, uh, lead generation strategy. Within one week, that dashboard is going to be red lighting up. It's going to be talked about in the executive meeting. You're going to be wondering what's going on. You have to be able to set this up. Um, that when co- and then another thing that people talk about when you think about patience, um, patience is not complacency. I'm not being patient over here. Like we're driving, we're driving results with this podcast, almost immediately, oftentimes, the thing is that I'm not acting short term. Um, I am d- don't need the result right now. So I take the right behavior. So I get the right result now. Um, and so companies just uh, because they don't define result properly, and they t- define result as a short term metric that doesn't actually matter, like MQLs or demos completed or things like that. And then the team gets comped or incentivized on that. That you can do a lot of things to hit that hit that type of metric. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's and I how I totally think about long term, short so, term.
1: Yeah, and I totally agree that it's so important to find the right metrics because if you focus on MQLs, you you'll probably get MQLs, and, and and that's not what what the business needs. And I remember me writing my goal on a mirror, and every morning I woke up, I will get confronted with that goal. Uh, so uh, my focus also went there, right? and, and and teams. Um, We try to make it visible as well with dashboards, so every time you walk into the office, you will get, uh, you have that focus on on the metrics that really matter because uh, the more you see them, you more, every meeting we start with those metrics and um, let's make sure all the companies that are listening uh, focus on the right metrics instead of the MQLs and etc. So one tactic that every company should do in 2024, what is included in every strategy that you do?
0: Um every company should have a dark social thought leadership strategy executed by an evangelist. Uh that includes a long form video podcast, which can converted to a long-term YouTube video. That you that YouTube video then gets put on your website, it's search optimized. Then you break that down into social video clips for vertical video, like we talked about on YouTube Shorts, SEO optimized on TikTok based for Reach. Um, and then you have square or vertical clips that you can then use on LinkedIn. Um, all starting from sitting here and doing an hour podcast, sharing your expertise with people. Um, and I think every company needs that. Um, when we run our analysis of data, so we've looked at, I think, 26 or 27 total SaaS companies uh, so far, um, that the companies that ended up being the highest performers for marketing ROI, which means that they uh, the high performers get 10x more revenue than a low performer for every dollar they spend on marketing the high performers get three dollars for every dollar they spend the low performers get 30 cents and the high performers one thing that's consistent about the high performers is that they have an organic dark social thought leadership strategy uh, that they've been producing for a long period of time think they might have a separate separate website where they have a news uh, a news place where they then create content and use that as a brand building activity to get people into their cybersecurity software or something like that. Think about a company that has their CEO evangelizing everything on uh, LinkedIn and in events and at conferences. Companies that are committed to that strategy, uh, at least in the sample size that I've looked at so far, seem to be a, a key thing that's consistent across all high performers. Um, And so I think that every company should be doing that. Why is it probably consistent for companies that have uh, the highest ROI? Because the cost is actually relatively small. And the scalability is incredibly high. Um, And so when you when you do one program really well, that doesn't cost a lot of money and drives huge ROI, then even if you have some other investments that are less ROI, the blended ROI still ends up being very good. I um, mean, the companies that don't have that end up spending a lot more money on digital advertising and performance marketing and other things like that to the point of degra- degrading ROI because they need to keep driving growth, but they don't really have a sustainable, scalable way to drive growth. So they reach for advertising channels.
2: Do you have also a tip for companies or for marketeers that really want to try this, but don't have the management buy in or don't have a, a thought leader that really can help them with creating this kind of content? <clears throat>
0: Uh, instead of thinking about how do I get convinced someone in my company that isn't convinced about how to do this. And I like, I've done that before. It doesn't work. um, Why don't we identify who are all the people externally that our customers listen to and trust? And then why don't we have them be all the guests? And if I want to do the podcast, then I'll just go out and engage with those 15 people I'll understand their perspective. I'll understand what parts of their perspective I want my customers to hear, and I'll pull that information out of them through a strategic set of interview questions so that I'm communicating a message that I want to my customers It's coming from somebody else that they trust. And I would do that 15 times over in the form of an event that becomes a podcast. It becomes everything that I talked about. And then all of a sudden, after episode, when you go to episode 16, you go ask your subject matter expert if they want to be on episode 16. They're a lot more likely to say yes um and so don't wait on people go out and there's plenty of people that your customers trust that are outside of your company that you could go and take action on straight away assuming that your company doesn't have some like big PR policy or a bunch of red tape and starting a podcast
1: yeah I, lo- I love that I also didn't wait for no one I just showed him and Chris um I started this podcast with uh, the 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 redefine growth so we um challenge our partners to uh, to also uh, make a positive impact. Is this something that you see at your clients as well, that they try to do good rather than only focus on profits?
0: Um, I, th- I think that's a r- uh, really subjective conversation. The people that I interact with and the people that I like to do business with are great people. They care about their team. They care about developing the people that work at their company. They care about organizing those people so that they can do, you know, positive things, whether that's for their family or for the community. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that the companies that I try to, to do business with and engage with are great, great people that support, uh, uh, a higher object. And I think it's almost for everybody. Every, almost everybody has a higher objective than just making money. Like my higher objective is to solve this problem. That B two B companies could go to market in such a more scientific and measured and successful way, um, and I've solved that by building the best B two B digital agency out there so far. And now we're working on how we use the data to help companies in the frameworks and the ways of thinking to help companies do that. And so even I have like, a and I've I watch marketers and executives and companies have massive success by implementing only a fraction of the things that I'm talking about. Hmm. Um, and so I think everybody, almost everybody, has a higher purpose. Than, uh, than just profit, um, and I think to be to be great and to execute for a long period of time, that you have to have that higher purpose. Or over time, it, you'll you'll reach adversity and give up or move to something else. Um, and so, yeah, I I, uh, I think the people that I get to work with every day are great. Both the people that work at my company and our customers are great people that try to make an impact greater than just profits.
1: Cool, love the answer. All right. So um, I guess we call it a day.
0: Yeah, that was amazing. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much for joining. It was a great talk. And uh, we do a festival every year, so um, let's keep in touch. And we might bring you to Amsterdam. And then,
0: uh, Awesome. Uh, yeah, shoot me an here. email. I would. Yeah, I'd love to be a guest in your country, so thank you.
1: All right. Thank you so much. All right. Cheers.
0: Good to see you. Thanks. Bye. All right.
1: Wow, that was quite an episode. I hope you liked this one. Like and subscribe. Follow us on socials. Sign up for the newsletter. We're sharing a lot of valuable information and hope to see you next time.